So with that, I'm going to read through uh, John chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. If you want to turn with me and follow along. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So now let's, let's walk through and just begin to unpack this verse, these verses a little bit. Um, the first few verses are important in establishing who Jesus is through John's statements. So starting in verse 29, John jumps right to the pinnacle of who Jesus is. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember, John's purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus. Jesus is the goal of John's ministry. Jesus is who John is seeking. So it's no surprise we see John proclaiming this statement, not just once, but two times in our text today. So this statement about the Lamb of God is is profound, and we could spend all of our time just in this one line of text. By saying that Jesus is the Lamb of God, John is comparing this to lambs for the acts of sacrifice found in the Old Testament. This was a practice Jews during this time would be very familiar with. But now Jesus is the final sacrifice, which has the ability to take away the sins of the whole world, which in turn would allow for all the symbolic acts of animal sacrifice to end once and for all. John's ministry is coming to an end and setting the stage for Jesus as the Messiah. So contextually what's happening here, it's it's huge. This idea of the symbolic acts of sacrifice now coming to an end, all of scripture prophecy potentially coming to fulfillment in this time. So it's extremely exciting times 
Let's just, I want to read back through 29 through 34 just to focus in and emphasize some of what we're seeing. Um, The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And like I said a while ago, this is something that we could focus in on this entire time. And it's something that me as a believer, like I could never get tired of hearing about Jesus as the Lamb of God and taking away the sin of the world. Uh, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. That is so key that this is the Son of God. So this, uh, verses 29 through 34, really set the stage and confirm that Jesus is the Christ. This is huge because of that fulfillment of prophecy that is taking place right before John's eyes and right before these disciples' eyes. It's amazing. So that which John was seeking has arrived. So generation upon generation of stories told and handed down of a coming Messiah has now come true. Messiah is, it simply means anointed one or chosen one. An anointed one simply means someone with a special purpose, a special God-ordained purpose. So the Jews were expecting a king that would come and overthrow the Romans and establish an earthly kingdom. But it wasn't until after Jesus' resurrection that the disciples began to actually grasp what the Old Testament prophecies were saying. Um, that they were saying the Messiah would really come and deliver his people spiritually to atone for our sins. This was accomplished through Jesus' death and his resurrection. Um, to just kind of shed light on the context, I want us to flip over and look at Isaiah 53. If you're not familiar with this passage, I highly, highly encourage you to get familiar with it because it is a beautiful prophecy about Jesus. And uh, it gives us some context to uh, what is what is actually being fulfilled here. So turn with me to Isaiah 53. So we're going to read this whole chapter and just listen, listen intently to the beauty of in this passage of what Jesus has done. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Just that right there. Remember, the Jews were looking for a king, someone like David, like this awesome, probably very good-looking warrior. But, but here we see that he had, Jesus had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked. And with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make the way to be accounted righteous, make the many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Isn't that beautiful? Just to bask in that. I mean, we could, personally, I could, I could sit here and just read that all day long over and over and like that's enough that scripture is enough to get you excited and produce an awe of jesus so we we could stay there all day long but i point this out because it's important to know that that which we are seeking as followers of christ this text from isaiah is a glimpse into what john and his disciples were seeking that is the messiah Jesus would die in our place the way the lamb was sacrificed in the Old Testament in place of the sinner. What should this provoke within us? For me, it, it, it should provoke an awe of Jesus. The, the, the definition of awe is, is very simple. Awe is a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. A feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. And just think about what Jesus has done for us on the cross, coming and living among us as the incarnate God. Does that not leave you in awe of what he has done? If you take nothing else away today, let's leave here in awe of what Jesus has done. In verse 35, we see John declaring, Behold the Lamb of God. Uh, This time, two of John's disciples were with him and and heard what John had said. And they followed Jesus. This was a literal following as they were literally walking behind him. Jesus saw them following. He turned and he asked, What are you seeking? So again, at the very beginning, we talked about that. What are you seeking? We're going to focus in on this. 
Notice he asks what, not who, but what. What are you seeking? Something to note here is that in this text, um, the, the Greek word used for seeking carries this meaning. It carries the meaning to strive after knowledge, especially for philosophical reasons. And so later we're going to see Jesus takes what and turns it into who. The response to Jesus was, where are you staying? And then Jesus responded, come and you will see. I want to I read back through that so that we can really... So we can be reminded of what this is, what, what's happening here. So in verse 35, I'm going to go ahead and read all the way through to, to 42 again, just as a way of reminder. I love rereading scripture. The redundancy of that is it sets it in. And it's great for, for us as we're unpacking this. So starting in verse 35, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. So this is the second time. This is the next day. you got two guys standing next to John. Can you imagine that? Like They were hanging out. Jesus comes walking by. And John's going, Behold, the Lamb of God. John was an interesting, interesting guy. So I can imagine this was an interesting interaction. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? So there it is. What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So there we have it. Jesus, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. This dialogue is it's important in understanding Jesus' use of language. Many times in the Gospel of John, people are speaking in the physical But Jesus is actually taking their words and guiding them deeper to a spiritual level using those same words. Here's a few examples of that throughout John. Nicodemus talks of physical birth. Jesus is talking of spiritual birth. The woman at the well is talking about water from the physical well. But Jesus is talking about spiritual water that he will give. Crowds of people ask for physical bread. But Jesus was talking about living bread. In John chapter 9, the Pharisees deal with a man who was given physical sight. Jesus is speaking of spiritual sight. Verse 39, it says, For judgment I came into the world, into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. So when Jesus asked, What are you seeking? He was asking something much deeper than what we see in the physical world. Remember the meaning of seeking in this context, which was to strive after knowledge for philosophical reasons, especially for philosophical reasons. So many times we see people seeking Jesus for the wrong reasons. In, in John 6, chapter 6, verses 26, it says, 
You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And then you remember the story I started with with the rich young ruler. What was he seeking? He was seeking eternal life. And, and he wanted to have a part of it. And he was rich and he was young. He had everything. And Jesus said, go and sell all you own. And he went away sad. So he was seeking for the wrong reasons. So Jesus is asking you, and more importantly, not just us. He's asking those around you who do not know him, what are you seeking? Have you personally found the Messiah? This Jesus we've been speaking of? Have your colleagues at work found the Messiah? Those in your circle? Do you really believe Jesus is the Christ? Does your life reflect this? Can you guide others to the Messiah? In, in verse 38, the, the disciples' response to uh, was, where are, you, where are you staying? So they were asking for his address. Jesus is asking, what are you seeking? And they just want to know, where, where are you staying? They, they, they don't quite realize what's going on when Jesus responds with, come and you will see. The Greek meaning of this word see that Jesus has used is perceptive seeing. It's not visual seeing, but a perceptive seeing. Come and you will see. I will allow you to see. Again, the physical world and the spiritual world. So it has deeper meaning and brings the conversation into the spiritual realm. When we go to Jesus and seek him, he will open our spiritual eyes. In Jesus' mind, this meant, if you will truly come to me, you will see spiritual reality. You will have spiritual sight. You will see that Jesus is the Messiah, and he will be praised and glorified. And, and again, this should leave you with an awe of who Jesus is, in love with him. Jesus first invites us to come and see are you in love with Jesus? After this description that we see in Isaiah, what Jesus has done for us, are we in awe of that? Do our colleagues know that? Do they see that? Does our family see that? As we move into verses 40 and 41, this shows us the spiritual sight these disciples were open to. Andrew went and found his brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah. We found the Christ. This was huge for these guys in this time. But how did these guys know this was the Messiah? They were only physically, they were, they were physically seeking. They were asking, where are you staying? But because they came to him and spent time with him, they saw. But not just a physical seeing. Jesus opened their eyes to a spiritual reality. And that was that he was the Christ. So I ask, what are you seeking? Or better, what are those in your sphere of influence seeking? Are you in tune with that? Are you in tune with what people around you are seeking? Because only Jesus is the ultimate satisfaction to the void that we are seeking to fill. When you come to Jesus, you see, you see spiritual reality. You see the key that unlocks the ultimate meaning to all things. 
Is God opening your eyes to a deeper spiritual meaning to the things around you? Is he revealing himself to you? In, in verse 42, we see Jesus tell Simon, he shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. This is profound because we see that Jesus has the authority to change our identity. As we seek Jesus and yearn and thirst for him, our heart begins to align with his and our identity is found in Christ. There is no better identity for you than the one that Christ gives. So is your identity in Christ? Are you walking in obedience to Christ by emulating him and giving those around you a foretaste of what the kingdom of God is like? Can people look into your life and see that Jesus is, is the Messiah? This, this foretaste of what the kingdom of God is like is so important in our simple obedience. As we go, we, we help people. If someone's hungry, we feed them. And this is a foretaste of the kingdom of God because there is no hunger in the kingdom of God. You're giving them a taste of what it's like. So I want to I close with this. The, the application that I really want us to, to take away from today is, is this week I want, I want to challenge you to spend time in spiritual meditation and contemplation. If that's not a practice, a weekly practice for you, I, I highly encourage you to try to find some time that is quiet and, and you're not reading or praying, but just listening. Ask God to fully reveal himself to you as the Messiah as the one who takes away all of our sins. Ask God to show you people in your own life that are seeking. And pray that God would guide you in helping them to see him as their savior. So we're gonna enter into a time of prayer and uh, we're gonna just take a moment to pray and seek God and ask him to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. That he would open Open our eyes to the wonder and amazement of who he is, that our hearts would be transformed by his spirit, that we would be left in awe of Christ as we believe in him as the Messiah. And not just us. It doesn't just stop with us. Like if you believe this, it's going to spill over into those around you. So ask God to tune your heart to those that are around you, that need the Messiah, that are seeking. There, there are people that are seeking a philosophical answer for the void that's within them. But it's not a what, it's a who. So with that, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are, we are so grateful that you have chosen the path that you did to, as God come to this earth and live among us and be the ultimate sacrifice to heal us spiritually to do something that no one else could do no one else had the ability to be the ultimate sacrifice only you could do that 
God, remind us of this daily and leave us. God, leave us in an awe of who you are and what you have done. Allow that awe to be seen by those in our context at work, our family, our immediate family, our friends, our neighbors, so that they too can experience the ultimate pure satisfaction only found in you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for what you've done. And together, let's, let's say the, the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgiven those who trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever.